Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from the present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us pray. We are grateful again, God, to have a building, to get to a better part of it, Lord, and we prayerfully to have fellowship uh, time again uh, with your people, with visitors, God. We are thankful for these things and pray that they would come to fruition. We uh, To that end, Lord, pray for COVID to be done away with, Lord, as something uh, greatly dis- disturbing our time, Lord, especially our health, as it has indeed affected our health, Lord, and hurt uh, some of our families here, God. We pray indeed for the continued health for all of us, Lord, and even though uh, COVID may be taken care of in one way or another in your providence, God, may we be wise and again take care of our own health with various and other sundry sicknesses and ailments that we deal with. Uh, God, that we would watch ourselves and our food and our diet, Lord, help us, Lord, especially as we uh, grow older, our body changes and what worked at one time doesn't work anymore, at least not as well as it used to, and it could be quite frustrating. And so to that end, God, we pray again that we would not be discouraged, that we would pray for one another, that we would not be discouraged from the chronic ailments and sicknesses that we deal with, Lord, in our lives, and that indeed you would heal us. Pray, God, for access to such things, Lord, and thankful for some of the things that we do have. Uh, No, it's me still muted. There you go. Thank you. And uh, thankful, Lord, for and the various and sundry ways that we are able to keep our health going uh, during this difficult time, Lord, uh, with uh, non-chemical ways and non-invasive ways, God. We pray that we'll continue and do what we can, Lord, to maintain our health and to avoid serious sicknesses, Lord, uh, even the likes of COVID. And again, God, we pray that COVID would be dealt with and quickly, Lord. Uh, it has done damage to our church, to be sure, Lord. Uh, but uh, we pray that we can get a handle on it as a nation, as a state, and as counties, God. Go back to normalcy as quickly as possible. We pray, God, and ask for our work situation, that you would be with us, that we would, as your people, uh, Lord, work as unto you, regardless of who our bosses are, uh, who our employers are, Lord. We can have some pretty bad ones, pretty uh, indifferent ones, some even hateful ones at times, God. And nevertheless, we should do what we can to work well for the company, well for you especially, God. Uh, but we are blessed, Lord, certainly to find a new, co- a new job, a new company. We pray, Lord, that we would have wisdom, understanding by your spirits, and to know when and what job, Lord, if we need to get a better one. And thank you again for the employment that we have, the good funds that we have, Lord, that we'd be wise as stewards with the things you've given us, God, that although ours are ultimately yours, that, that is, we are stewards, we are supposed to take care of the things you've given us, God, our talents, our times, our monies, and to use it for your people, for our family, for our friends, for our church, God above. And may the world know and see that we take it seriously, that we're not frivolous of the things you've given us, God. And at the same time, we're not stingy, uh, that we are willing uh, to give to one another, Lord, uh, extra things, uh, even things off the back of, uh, off our, the shirt off our back, God, if the situation warranted, as indeed we have seen over the many years here at Providence. We thank you for that, Lord, and pray for your continued blessings that we can do that materially, but it's certainly, and especially spiritually, God, to pray for one another, to admonish one another, to encourage one another unto good works, unto a life of holiness, as we saw this morning. We pray, God, especially this evening for our families, uh, to protect our families, God, from physical harm, especially our children, Lord, from predators that are becoming more normalized in society. We pray, God, especially against the spiritual predators upon our children, upon ourselves, God, that we would stand firm and reject any uh, new teaching, any new practice, God, with suspicion to be sure, Lord, and, uh, and evaluate everything in accordance to your 
law and to your gospel, to the word of God. Help us, Lord, to maintain holiness as a family, that the fathers and husbands would lead the family, God, and stand firm and look out for holiness in the family. Encourage the members of the family, Lord, unto holiness to say, this is good. Keep doing it. I'm here for you, Lord. At the same time, give us a gentleness when we uh, need to admonish one another and our families, God, especially the fathers and husbands. We pray for the wives to stand firm in a day and age that tells them that they are less than human, that they are subhuman for submitting to their husbands and submitting to the Lord, our God and Savior. May they not fall for that lie. May they stand firm in your promises and gospel and natural revelation that tells us this is how things should be, and that the children would see us standing firm and standing in our proper roles with love for one another as father and mother, Lord. They would also follow our example. And so, God, we pray for our family and extended family, for our grandparents, for our uncles, and for our sisters and brothers who have grown up and started their own families, Lord, uh, that we would pray for them, that they are not Christians, that we would love them, uh, even if they're not Christians, God, for they are still flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone as family members, God. And so we pray for them and ask God for patience. We would persevere with them, Lord, with the unbelievers especially, God, and that they would repent, that their hearts would change, that they would see our compassion, our consistency, Lord, especially in following you and your word, even if uh, they are angry, even if they don't understand and they're frustrated, why can't we do something on this day, Lord, your day, and just skip worship, it's okay, uh, Lord, that they would understand that we put you first, and the family always second with respect to you if there's a conflict, but we're thankful, Lord, to live in a church, to have family members who are Christians, and they understand this, God, and so there is no conflict. May these things be so, Lord, for more and more of our family to be more like unto Jesus. Be with us this evening, God. Strengthen us, we pray, again, to be encouraged uh, to take the preaching of the word here with us this week, God. This preaching this of this prayer, of this benediction for the people of God to be our benediction by your grace. In the name alone we pray. Amen. Let us turn to Psalm 20. Psalm 20. I haven't figured out what I'm going to do with Psalm 119. (laughs) I do have Calvin's sermon, sermons plural, on Psalm 119. He preached through it. Let us listen attentively to the word of God, Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt offering, sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, may the king answer us when we call. Let us pray. In this psalm, God above, which you have written by the power of the Spirit through the pen of David of his confidence in God's blessing. May we, God, grow in our confidence in your blessing upon us and upon each other, and indeed bless each other 
with this psalm. In your name we pray. Amen. Now we have in the heading here a psalm of David. So it's a good assumption that David wrote this psalm. But who did he write it to? There is an I and there is a you. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May in the name of the God of Jacob defend you. And in verse 6 we read, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed and will answer him from his holy heaven. And continues on in the first person plural. We have risen and we pray to our God and our King. So in the first five verses in this prayer of blessing or the benediction, it is you. He's writing and giving a prayer to somebody. Who is the I? Who is the other person? Who is the you? The I is David. But the you, who is the you he's speaking to you? May you, may you, may you, may he send you help. May he remember all your offerings. We don't rightly know. The text doesn't just outright say it. It could be God's people, as some people think of it. Or it could be the king. But as the king, maybe it's the blessing of the people as well, as the king represents the people. But whoever it is, we do know one thing. It is a great prayer, and it's a prayer or a benediction or prayer of blessing that we can pray and imitate and learn from. There's nothing in it that restricts it to the Old Testament era. Yes, there's mention of Zion in the sanctuary, but these are not literal references in the sense that, hey, David thinks that God's strength comes from Zion in the sanctuary as though they were a good luck charm, right, or a talisman. Of course he doesn't believe that. He knows that's, he knows that's not what's going on here. They're just symbols to point to God's special presence with his people wherever they may be. That's all. Yet one thing stands out in the psalm, David's confidence is in God's goodness. He is confident enough to pray to God to answer the prayers of his people, to give a blessing to his people, a benediction, and then thank the Lord at the end with a confident heart that God will indeed save and that God will answer his prayers. And so the point being, let us confidently pray this blessing for each other, this benediction, especially the first five verses, the last six are a praise. So the first point, a prayer, blessing, verses one through five, a prayer based on faith, that's what I mean by confidence. In verse one we read, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble, may the name of the God of Jacob defend you. It is a prayer or a benediction, as I said, a blessing upon another. That's what a benediction is, to bring something good, benny, as in benefits, right? Based upon the grace of God and his covenantal promises in particular, may the covenant-keeping God, Lord, L-O-R-D, answer you in the day of trouble. You cannot pray for what God has not promised. People do this all the time, especially the wealth and prosperity gospel, so-called gospel preachers who say uh, that God will give you the yachts, right, the car of your dreams and whatever else. It, that's not a will, that's a maybe. Maybe God will do that. And certainly God has given us material blessings, but they're may blessings, not definite blessings. So we can pray in accordance to that, but not the way lots of people talk about it, as though if it's not happening, there must be something wrong with my prayer, there must be something wrong with you. No, God's just saying wait, because he will, if you think about it, answer even all the material blessings prayer in the broadest sense of we will have a new heavens and a new earth, uh, a new body, a great new blessing of material things beyond our imagination with cities, the streets of gold and cities of diamond. 
benediction here is based upon the grace of God, the covenant mercies of God, and his confidence. You see the confidence, not because he says, I'm confident, but because he prays. And he prays in the name of God, and he prays for another person. May the covenant-keeping God answer you in the day of your trouble and difficulty, and God defend you, send you help from Zion, and strengthen you. Remember all your offerings. He's saying this because he believes God can do these things. And he's praying God will do these things. Give him good things and blessings upon him. A benediction for his people. And for whom? Although, again, not explicitly here, but we do know, since it's the covenant-keeping God, and God's covenant is not made with everybody, but only with his people, this benediction is for whom? God's people. The goodwill in this prayer, because that's what it reflects, obviously, is towards God's people. Any goodwill we have towards unbelievers does not include the covenantal promises of the covenant, because we don't know until they repent. They're in the covenant. We should not presume that upon them, but urge them unto repentance. Uh, There have been strands and various theologies in the church, even to this day, and weaknesses, again, even in conservative churches, that seem to kind of take these texts, and unfortunately what comes to my mind immediately uh, in this day and age, because I want to be relevant as a pastor, pastor be relevant, is the social justice warriors who are quick to take these passages and all of a sudden apply these things, these promises in particular, to society as a whole. This is not the case. It's for God's people. L-O-R-D is all caps, I think, in all translations. Um, unless uh, there's some translation that tries to use the Hebrew word, but we don't even know how that's pronounced. It's covenant-keeping God. It's for his people. The benedictions are particularly for his people, and we are blessed and should uh, be blessed and only give this kind of a benediction to God's people. Our benediction of the unbeliever is the greatest benediction they ever need, which is they will repent and believe. That's a blessing. That is a good thing. That is a benefit for them if they would repent and believe. And so that is our prayer for them. And, of course, it's based upon the power of God. He is confident, and he gives this benediction, and it's based upon the power of God. That's what's assumed here when he says, may he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. Who? He. God. God would deliver them from their difficulties and the troubles of their lives. It is God who defends his people. He knows it. And that's why he prays his prayer too. whoever this person may be, us for example, and for each other. May the Lord answer you, brothers and sisters, in the day of your trouble. And we are in a day of trouble, and God has answered part of our prayer, has he not? Maybe you didn't read this word for word, obviously, but your heart was there, your sentiment was there in the prayers of the last year, that we would have a place of worship, and it would become back to normal. And we've got a place of worship fairly early on, in many ways, compared to other places and churches that were still even shut down today. So God has indeed answered this benediction for us. And it also shows, because it shows his confidence in the covenant-keeping God for his people, to bless his people, to have goodwill towards his people, to use that power for his people, that there is faith in the Old Testament. You cannot have this psalm, you cannot have this prayer, this benediction, without this man actually believing in God and in the covenant. There is faith in the Old Testament. The more you read through these passages of the Old Testament, the more you realize they believe like we believe. 
Yes, it's from afar. They didn't have the fullness of the revelation any more than a child has a fullness of understanding of life as an adult, but they still are part of reality. They're still a part of life. They're still part of the family. They still know something and see it and act upon it. And so they did of the Old Testament. God's help, verse 2, we're still on the first point of the benediction, and this imagery here, that he would send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. I think part of the imagery here, because I mentioned already in the intro, he's not obviously saying it's a magical place. Zion's a magical place. If you just touch that magic brick and God's going to protect you. That's not what he's saying. As though God physically dwells only there and nowhere else, and he's limited to this location called Zion, right? The city of God. Clearly that's not what he's saying. That's not the kind of God we see in the Old Testament at all. It's a metaphor. It's a colorful image, and I think it has two things here. One is that the help would come from God immediately and directly and from his heart as opposed to from the periphery and from the edge and just kind of occasionally. It's from the center, the theological center, although not the geographical center, of Israel there in the sanctuary, right? Temple. Where God uh, dwells especially with his people, as he emphasizes in the Old Testament, to show that he is there for us through the outward symbolism, although we know he's there in reality, everywhere. And so the help from the sanctuary shows also, therefore, his commitment. Not a secondary commitment, as though help comes from the mountains, help comes from the ocean or the fields, because they had the gods of the ocean, they had the gods of the fields, they had the gods of the sky. Remember that the Babylon, the Babylon, the, the Canaanites had these different gods. All the pagans did. No, it comes from God himself, and he set up to show that this God is over everything this special place for them to learn these things. That God is committed to his people. That's the language here. He's dedicated. The power that established Israel will sustain her and them in their time of need and trouble. And may God help us in our time of trouble. We ought to pray accordingly. Verse 3, May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. This reminds us the importance of worship. God only concerned about worship in the Old Testament era. He was only concerned about the Old Testament saints honoring him, lauding him, praising him. And the New Testament is like, ah, oh, you do whatever you want. I don't care. Some Christians, I say some, and I really mean many, I uh, think that's the case, that God, eh, it's just whatever, I'm home, I kind of feel like I'm worshiping God. No, God has always been concerned about proper worship of who he is because that's been a special focus upon him. When you worship God, it is him you are thinking about and no one else. And it's okay to think about other people. We do it all the time. It's called Monday through Saturday. you got to work. you got to eat. you got to take care of the clients. God knows this. And he says, I'm going to give you six days, although I own all six of them, seven indeed. But I'll just only request one day because God is a loving God. And that day is a day where we, we are supposed to remember him and bring our spiritual offerings and sacrifices, as we read, for example, in Hebrews. Using the language of the Old Testament of sacrifices to speak of our life, to speak of worship in general, not as though we have to literally sacrifice animals anymore in this day. And so his benediction or his prayer is that God would remember their offerings. Obviously, remember doesn't mean, oh, God forgot, but to look upon favorably, right? <clears throat> to look upon favorably. And the worship here, again, reminds us that God takes worship seriously, and our benediction should be not only for our life, but for our worship, that God would accept our praise and offerings before him, our praise 
with our mouth, our praise, with our life, with our presence, listening to his word and praising him on the Lord's day. Verse 4 through 5, we read of the general goodwill that he prays for the people of God or whoever his particular audience is. May he grant you according to your heart's desire, fulfill all your purpose. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. The end of verse 5. That's a wonderful prayer. To pray for good things, brothers and sisters, for each other. Right? We've had those wishing wells as kids, or the ponds at the mall. I don't remember the mall. Eh, maybe they had one at the North Glen Mall. Some of you older people may remember that one off of 104th. They tore it down, I guess, 20 years ago. And they had a second floor in the basement. Weirdest place at the mall. And I remember they had a little fountain there. They probably threw, I probably threw a, do- a penny in that thing uh, for wishing. That's not what he's talking about here, right? May he grant you according to your heart's desire. God, here's my penny. Give me what I want. That's not what the idea here is. Again, uh, false teachers teach that. Hey, God, just you pray for a yacht, you're going to get a yacht. To grant you according to your heart's desire is the assumption that your desires are in accordance with God's will. That's what it is. Because it's a prayer to godly people, not wicked people who will take the prayer request and do wickedness with it. May he grant you according to your heart's desire, assumes that the heart's desire is a righteous desire. I mean, isn't the Old Testament all about righteousness? And the New Testament, as we saw this morning, holiness? So so clearly, even though he doesn't have the adjective with your heart's lawful desires or godly desires, it's assumed. It's assumed. And that is not going to lessen the fact that we should pray for one another that our godly desires would be fulfilled and God would fulfill them. And that includes, obviously, spiritual things, to be more holy, to be more obedient, to be more considerate in our minds, to have love towards one another, to pray for those kind of good things. And that should be our heart's desire. So my prayer would be that he would grant you according to your spiritual desires. Yes, but also material. Also material. That's not excluded here. It's certainly not excluded by example in the Old Testament. Pray for a good job. Pray for a nice place to live. Pray for health and even wealth. There's nothing wrong with that. Abraham had all of that. And God, again, in Deuteronomy, reminds you, in the height of all the additional laws God gave to teach him things, said, there's a time to take off and rejoice and have a party. I think that's Deuteronomy 12, as I recall. Can't make it to Jerusalem. You all stop right there. Sell everything you have. Bring all the servants and have a big party and eat. That's what he says. I've blessed you. Use the blessing. I've given you Sabbath days. We, we have less and less than that in America, where they want more uh, bondage and take more money from people and not get them off the hook because they want that money. But God was like, hey, I'm a, I'm a God of mercy. And I think a Christian society would have a lot more mercy than what we see in some cases today. <clears throat> so pray. Pray for that. That if you for one another, for your heart's desire to be fulfilled. And those desires are not only spiritual things, but material things. And you want the material things to the end that you would be more godly. I mean, vacation time is a time to rest so that because God knows we have a weak body and it affects our mind and it gets cluttered and you need vacation time sometimes. That helps you to the end that you become a better worker on the other end, a better husband, a better wife, a better family, cohesiveness to come together and put aside distractions. These are tools. The physical blessings are supposed to be tools for a greater end. That's true. But it doesn't lessen the fact that we can pray for one another, not only for spiritual things, but for material things. May he grant you, brothers and sisters, your heart's desire. 
for a safe place, for a healthy family, for children and grandchildren. These are good things when used aright for God's kingdom. And, of course, uh, he rejoiced. And we will rejoice, verse 5, in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. We will set up proudly under uh, the control and authority, the auspices of God with the banners where you show the different armies and how they set up an array uh, to the commander and to the, con- to the country itself to therefore show patriotism of a sort. And here he's saying we're not ashamed to be God's people, to stand up for him and rejoice in the deliverance. Because the word salvation here is deliverance. It isn't just an only spiritual salvation, although it's that too, but also material. As we know, they had warfare back then. We could pray the same thing for us. If we not have warfare, if we have warfare, the, we would survive and we would win if we were on the right side of the war. So let us use this psalm to remind each other to pray for one another. Benedictions, in the, that sense of the word. Prayers of blessings. That God would accept our worship and that God would indeed deliver us and grant us our lawful desires. The second part of the psalm is verses 6 through 9. Now I know the Lord saves his anointed and will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand and some trust in chariots and some in horses. We will remember the name of the Lord our God. This is the praise of hope, not a prayer of goodness and blessings, but a praise of hope, verses 6 through 9. Again, the confidence that he has. I know that the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, saves his anointed. The Lord saves. He says that because he believes it. And that's why he gives a prayer, because he believes it. God saves and will save his people. We see it in the history of the Old Testament, the amazing history of the Old Testament, the miracles and work of Christ Jesus himself, the birth and protection and growth of the church and the book of Acts, as we saw over the last two years. We see it in our own lives. How he's watched us, body and especially soul. In difficult times, God saves, brothers and sisters. He saves his anointed, a full power protection from heaven itself, from Zion, from the sanctuary, the most holy place. God stretches forth to touch us and protect us because we are his direct intervention and no holding back. He will answer him from his holy heaven, it says in verse 6. Not just the earth, but from the holiest place, from the depth of his heart with the saving strength of his right hand. Again, the right hand is the great power, imagery of power and strength, and privilege, even. That we are his. But who is his anointed? Who is his anointed? I'll tell you this, you probably already know this. It has a capital H-I-S, capital H there, verse 6, at least in my translation, the Lord saves his anointed. You don't have that in Hebrew. You don't have lowercase and uppercase. It's just all the same. And uh, it's the translator putting in the capital H. It could be Christ. Um, I'm not going to argue if it's against Christ or not. But if it is Christ, because in the sense of God delivering him from the power of Satan, for example, then it is Christ as a man, right, in, in the temptation, for example, and things like that. But whatever it is for Christ, it's also for us, isn't it? I mean, the good for Christ is the good for us, isn't it? So even if it is Christ, and I wouldn't certainly argue against that, I would not argue against that, um, it's still for us, it's still a prayer for us, it still reminds us God saves us. His anointed, 
has a people. He's the head of us, his people. He's anointed, we are anointed. He is saved, we are saved. He is delivered, that is, and we are delivered as well, though from a different problem, because Christ never had sin to be delivered from. And therefore, it reminds us again the special love of God that is comforting. The covenantal love of God for his people, brothers and sisters. We live in a day and age that hates that, that hates people being separate and unique as much as they argue that everyone's separate and unique. Think about it. I'm like, how, what do you think? You're special? Why do you, why do you, you know, why do you have your own churches? You guys do your own thing. You don't want to be part of society. What's your problem? God, God loves us. And we love him. And we want to do the right thing. If God loved everyone, then his love for us is not special. It is not efficacious. It is without power and impact. But his love is for us and uniquely us. And therefore he will protect us. You can talk about, I know, a general love for the world. I like to talk about long-suffering, for example, to make it clear. Because, again, in theology, as you know, lots of people want to say, God loves everybody. Again, it's a very open, welcoming way of preaching. It helps churches grow because people want to hear that. They want to hear, well, God loves his people. Am I his people? Well, let's find out. Let's talk about it. Maybe you are, if you repent and believe. You want to be his people? That used to be the old message. <laughs> and then he continues on here. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. There's an old song about that. Maybe it's not too old, probably from the 70s. But I guess I feel old. This reminds us that there are people who have misplaced trust. And there were probably Jews that had misplaced trust. Now, I don't think it's David that had a misplaced trust with horses. In chariots, David used a horse. Does that mean he had misplaced trust? People can read this, and again, part of it is my background. I was a charismatic, and you read this. Well, they trust in chariots and horses, and so we shouldn't trust in guns, and we shouldn't trust in tanks. Okay, have fun with that one when you go to war, right? No, it's saying there are people who only put their trust in chariots, or put their trust in chariots and don't put their trust in God. That's what he's talking about. But we, we will remember, and clearly remember is not, oh, that's kind of an interesting reflective thought. That's another way of saying I'm engaged in my mind. I know God has done good things for me, and I believe it. I trust in him. I trust in the name of the Lord. I will use chariots, and David says I will use a bow and I will use a sword, but I'm only using it because I trust in the Lord, not because I trust in the bow as such. They who are watchmen on the tower watch in vain unless the Lord watches with them, right? Do we trust that? Do we believe that? Yes, we do. But there are people, again, who don't, who are confused about these things. Again, even in the churches, I think it was the case in the Old Testament as well, which is the Old Testament church, uh, especially those who have a wrong view of God's sovereignty, I think. And so we are blessed to have such a trust. And again, in the world, of course, we see people who trust in the things of this world, not just chariots or horses, but in world systems, political systems and social systems, uh, their own money, their wealth, their power, their influence, to deliver them, to save them. Because that's part of the context, right? The saving strength, the Lord delivers, the Lord protects you, the Lord answers you in the day of trouble. So whether physical, material, or spiritual trouble, the world trusts in everything but God. 
We, however, do trust in God, even if we use chariots or horses or money or power. There's nothing wrong with using power if we use it for the good thing, of course. Good thing, indeed. But if we have none of that, we still have God. And that's all we need. And that hope, although it fails them, they have bowed down, right, and fallen. They have crushed and fallen down, even though they had the chariots, even though they had the horses and the battle time, and they lost and they failed. We have risen and stood upright. We will not fall down. The righteous man, Proverbs says, falls six times and gets up the seventh time. He has the Spirit of God in him, and he cannot give up, no matter what he feels like. We have risen and stand upright because God is with us. God is our hope. Save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. It's not just a benediction anymore. Now it's become a prayer of praise and even a prayer of help. The very last verse here. Hope in the king, our Lord and Savior. God saves and that should build us confidence. He has confidence. That's why he prays to him. Even if his confidence feels weak, it's still real. Confidence enough to pray, confidence enough to give a blessing, as he does in the first five verses, to others in the covenant, as we ought to pray. And he has comfort as well. May the king answer us when we call. Why does he go to the king? Because he believes God being his king is a comforting fact. It is a helpful fact. It is a good fact. He is our Lord and our master. Because as a king, he answers us when we call upon him. He answers us in our time of need. The food and shelter that we have, even to this morning, this afternoon, and this evening, is because of him. The security and protection that we have, even through all of last year, is because of him. The feeding of our souls is because of him. He is our king. He is here to protect us. That's what a king does. The ancient Near East, they loved their kings, and that is the best of the kings, because they knew the job of a king was to be a father of the people. And a father will stretch his right arm of strength to protect his people because he loves them. The imagery they have of kings is not just an abstract sovereign lord, but of a father. They had something like that a long time ago. Perhaps it died out with Teddy Roosevelt, you know, someone we looked up to in the executive branch, and we said, he, he takes us seriously. Washington, of course, is what everyone goes to now. At least they used to. God is greater than that. That's why we go to him. He answers us when we call. We call for help. As a king, that office of king reminds us he has the power to provide and to protect, and he has indeed exercised that power, and it therefore highlights his love for us, even during dark times. Let us pray, brothers and sisters, yes, daily. Let us pray for each other, prayers of benediction, both for spirit and, and for body. Let us confidently hope in the power of our God to deliver us. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, gracious God and Savior, we're thankful, Lord, for this psalm. Short fashion shows us the great benedictions you have for our, your people, that we pray for one another, and also, Lord, the confidence, the reasons why we trust in you. We will remember the name of the Lord our God, even though the world may trust in chariots and horses and everything else but you. Help us to that end, Lord, to cry out, may God, our King, answer us when we call. Amen. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.